is for apple. B is for Buzz. C is for crayon. D is for drum. Here it is in a nutshell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of Beers for Boz. Uh, I am joined by Paddy Murphy, karaoke maestro and filmmaker extraordinaire, and the only other person I know who gives no pause to excessive use of emojis on social media. Welcome, sir. <laughs> that is legitimately my favorite intro today for anything <laughs> I've ever done. Um, yeah, I use a lot of emojis. I'm so I'm so happy that you've pointed that out. I mean, you probably noticed I do the same, and like yeah. sometimes I have to like I literally I write a message and I look at it and I go, too many smileys. Take a couple out. <laughs> We're kindred spirits. We're kindred spirits because yeah, it's I, I, I'm trying to I'm looking here and I'm actually looking at my social media feed. And I'm like, do, have I posted anything that doesn't have an emoji in there? <laughs> and I'm not sure if I have. So yeah. Paddy Murphy, emoji user slash filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're one of my favorite inventions, and I, I started using them way back before they were a thing. So it was the, you know, the you made them up with the semicolons yes. and the things. It's just I, I don't want any ambiguity because I'm always taking the piss. So if I take, <laughs> if I make a comment that could be construed as snippy, but if I put a tongue sticking out smiley with it, you know what my tone of voice is behind that. And that's exactly how I felt about emojis as well. And similarly, I remember to kind of put in context here, I used to play games on the Sega Dreamcast back in 2000, 2001. Nice. Uh, and it was my first access to the internet, I guess, really like. Hmm. And back then, similarly, I learned all the different, you know, keyboard commands not as you say these these pre-done emojis like having to go and learn what each thing did yeah um, and it was just specifically so that i could get context across so that like people as you say people don't misconstrue stuff because it's so easy online oh definitely i, I mean i there's one i use I, don't, I still don't think there's a good enough painted emoji for this and that's the uh colon with the s yes because the emoji version of that isn't right i don't, I don't feel comfortable no, using that it, yeah, I can, I can, I can totally understand that. It, it doesn't convey exactly what you, what you'd expect it to. So welcome to EmojiCast. Yeah. So <laughs> I think our work here is done. <laughs> so I, I wanted to talk uh, as our little intro here to sort of qualify how how we met in real life and how we met online because it was quite funny. Well, I guess for, for one thing as well, I. The first time I, I heard about you was your Strong Language Violent Scenes episode. Yeah, uh, yeah, which I, <laughs> yeah, which I listened to and I was like, this dude's really funny. And what I loved about it was how you were unwilling to accept like like the kind of the criticisms of the movie. You were just like, yeah, well, I think it's great. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> like, it is. That was my, exactly. But that, the best thing about that is it's a defense someone can't argue with. Like, you, you can't say, well, no, you're not allowed to think that, think that that's good. Like, it's, it, you win by default. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then when I saw you in real life in the Phoenix, I just saw this amazing T-shirt and was like, oh, my God, who's rocking that incredible T-shirt? And then I was like, "Oh, I think that's that. I think that's Buzz." <laughs> it was some, yeah, it was, it was kind of random, wasn't it? Because I, it was the, the the tagline on the back of the shirt, and yeah, I mean, shout out to my friend Bob who designed that. He's an amazing artist, and we're so lucky that he, you know, helped us with that. Um, 
and we, we got talking and I literally just watched you do karaoke and then didn't put two and two together I was talking to the same guys because I knew that that was Paddy Murphy up there on the stage but for some reason you looked different standing next to me and then the, oh, the, the penny dropped I was like oh my god and every then, Irish person looks different when they're singing Zambi <laughs> <laughs> oh it was but awesome century. I enjoyed that I was singing along nice uh, and then I sort of went back and I'm like oh yeah we we, I, I should definitely add this guy on Facebook. And I'm like, we already did that. We've already been down this road. I'm like, oh my God. And it all just fell That's into it. place. I was like, oh, honestly. I find that with Fright Fest that that happens a lot. That like I meet people at Fright Fest and I'm like, geez, what a nice person. I should really add them or whatever. And like that, go and check. And it's like, oh, we've been friends for three years. <laughs> we've got 60 <laughs> friends in common or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's a, it's the nature of that kind of community, like that we have all kind of found each other in one way or another, but maybe that's the first time that we actually speak to each other. Um, there's, there's a lot of people I think I know, but I don't really, because I've not really had a conversation, but I see them twice or three times a year, <laughs> nod <Yeah>. and smile. <laughs> I have no idea what the fucking name is. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get you. <laughs> So uh, obviously we we're going to talk about your movie, which had its world premiere, wasn't it? At Fright yes, Fest, yeah, it, it world premiered there and uh, at Fright Fest on August twenty sixth, and uh, it's just heading off onto the festival circuit now. Um, uh, kind of beyond that, so a couple more UK screenings, uh, screened in Italy, and our our Irish hometown premiere as well coming up the end, at the end of October. So oh, fantastic! Yeah, that'll be a good one. That'd be a scary one though. with this subject matter absolutely (laughs) i'm actually thinking of sending somebody in disguise as me (laughs) all they have to do is get up and sing zombies by cranberries and everybody like yeah it's definitely petty (laughs) oh you know a good prosthetics person don't you so you know (laughs) exactly yeah let's get a bit of latex in be fine but before we go there um i want to do sort of a bit of yeah getting to know me So, so uh, getting to know me, that, 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 like an ego take over that. Getting to know you. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I read somewhere your backgrounds in video games. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's well, yeah. In in two thousand nine, so just coming up on ten years ago, um, I was kind of disenfranchised during the the last recession. Hmm. Um, couldn't get work and stuff. And then I, I, I kind of reached out to a couple of friends and said, "Look, we could try setting up a video game company because I knew an artist, I knew a programmer, I get, did a lot of sound stuff at the time." Um, and so uh, a couple of people kind of came on board in the, those early days and we just started making a bunch of Flash games, oh, Okay. Um, which back then was great because you could actually sell them and make money, mm. <laughs> which was lovely. As I say, the height of the recession to be like, oh, my God, we just made enough money to pay for this office and to give ourselves a modest wage. This is incredible. Yeah. Um, and then that it, it, we went from strength to strength and we, we made games for uh, – like we ended up partnering with Sony and made a couple of games for the PlayStation Minis program, which oh. was pretty cool. Um, so those games like came out in PS, PSP and PS3. Hmm. Um, and we did a couple of games, as I say, for uh, kind of Xbox Live Marketplace, like Xbox Live Arcade um, and a couple of other things. So it was, it was all cool and all great. But we just, uh, me especially, I was running the company. I was kind of CEO and I had no idea what I was doing because I was like, I was like 20, well, what, 25, and wow. I had never ran a company before, and we got too big, too fast, and made loads of mistakes, yeah. and by 2012, uh, the company just kind of ran itself into the ground. Even though, like, I mean, if, if any of us had had brains or any kind of a mentor or anything like that, then it, it would probably still be going probably <laughs> successfully, but yeah, it was, 
it was that whole thing of, uh, but it was, it was a learn. as I say about everything in life, it was a learning experience. Um, yeah. yeah. Some things, unfortunately, you only get to learn the hard way, which... Uh... Exactly. <laughs> but, um, it, it, I mean, what's great is there's no better preparation for going into film stuff than video games because criti- the criticism is worse in video games. Like, you put a trailer <laughs> up on YouTube and people complain about the criticism they get in their film trailers. I'm like, make a video game and see what you experience. When you put up your match three puzzle game and people are like, this is not Call of Duty. You're like, yeah, yeah, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Very astute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, what what transitioned you into the film side of things? Was it a hobby at first, or did you just like crash into I'm gonna make films? Like, I mean, it's like me. I'll if if I know someone who's making a film, I just say to them, uh, uh, "We'll make tea and coffee, and we'll work for cookies just to get on a film set." Yeah, it was it was a weird kind of process because after the the video game company shot, I moved away from Ireland for a year with my wife. We moved off to the middle of the Mediterranean for a year and absolutely loved it. Ooh. Lived in Malta for a year and just absolutely loved it. Nice. Um, Barry that I was working for a bank, which was hell, a bank in the UK, oh, <laughs> doing PPI insurance claims, which <laughs> was hell. Like, I mean, I need to make a film about that, because that was the scariest thing I've ever dealt with. Um, I mean, can you actually sustain an injury from how fast I just slammed the phone down? I just... <laughs> uh, numerous times I did. Whiplash. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was... It was kind of a trade-off. It was like, had this beautiful idyllic life, living by the sea, being able to go swimming every day, beautiful weather all year round, but then the hell and horror of having to work for a bank doing mm. PPI stuff. Um... But yeah, I moved away, did that for a while. When I came back then to Ireland in 2014, I started writing uh, short stories. I didn't kind of go, I didn't come at it from the angle of wanting to make films. I just started writing short stories Hmm. um, and started submitting them online to, you know, um, sites and stuff. And one of them ended up winning the short short story award. And a friend of mine at the time said, why don't you try turning that into a film? And I was like, well, I don't know anything about like that area you know um i kind of i had funny enough i say that but i had done video production and manipulation in college like almost 10 years before that um but i i feel like by that point i had kind of gone well that's not something i'm ever going to probably do uh and so then i ended up meeting a lot of the guys that i do still work with um who worked on my first short film and what happened was the guy who was meant to direct my short my first short film uh Two days before we were going to shoot, he was like, oh, by the way, I'm not able to do it. I'm heading to Poland with my missus. Okay. <laughs> I was like, shit. Oh, OK, great. And then I was freaking out. And I was like, what am I going to do? And like that, I had people saying, look, you can direct it. You're, you're, and I, I, at the time, I really didn't feel like I could. I, I didn't have any idea. I still at times don't know if I know exactly <laughs> what a director does. <laughs> but uh, on that first film, I felt like a complete imposter. Mm. <laughs> but... What ended up happening is by the end of it, uh, I just I ended up loving the whole process so, so much and uh, kind of got bitten with the bug. And then that was 2014. And I think it was in 2015, we started work on The Three Don'ts, which would become my first feature film. And that was kind of when it was set in stone that, oh, this is something I'm, I, ha- I kind of have to take seriously. <laughs> so you went from short to feature? That's- uh, went from- I went, we, we did, how many shorts before we did? Because the Three Don'ts actually originated as a short as well, uh, oh, but it was just way too long of a short. Um, so yeah, we I'd done three shorts in 2014, uh, two of okay, which never right. saw the light of day. Um, 
And then in 2015, I did the three don'ts short, but I said to the guys involved, I was like, this is not going to be a successful short because it's 27 minutes, mm-hmm. which is not a short. Yeah. Um, but then we ended up, there was like two other scripts for two other 27 minutes uh, shorts in inverted commas. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then I was like, but like the three of those is one feature film. So if we just compile this together, we can just make a feature film out of it. So that was kind of what we did. And then we spent the next, from 2015 to 2017 kind of going out every weekend uh shooting stuff we ended up we had like a two hour 20 minute long cut in 2016 wow. that was beyond awful that i made a poor producer sit through <laughs> who then came back and was like you need to go and reshoot about 60 percent oh shit <laughs> yeah so we went back out from kind of may august 2016 through to like uh april 2017 we went back and just started uh started from, well not from scratch but we had the, the it's funny enough the, the bulk of what the producer thought was fine was mostly the stuff from the short so it was more a case of how do we bring it back to that and get it more in line with the short but what i will say is the best thing about the three don'ts was there was like with the video game company it was a gigantic learning experience everything yeah. that could go wrong went wrong <laughs> um it was the best film school i could have ever hoped for uh so yeah it was it was worth it for that alone. Brilliant. I I get how it becomes so infectious because I I just had a friend one day said, "Do you want to be in a film?" Actually, and I was like, "Well, I haven't acted since I was 13. and <laughs> I was I ended up being in it for three seconds, I believe. Um, nice. But what I really hooked into was the whole process behind how everything else happened, and uh, then just from that, anything else you made? Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> Well, that's, that's it. Like, it. <laughs> I mean, um, funnily enough, kind of, I think it was in 2015 as well that I, I just made the three don'ts short. And then a friend of mine from Scotland who you clearly, I don't know why I'm saying a friend of mine, like Andy Stewart. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, that guy, I know him. That guy. <laughs> Andy uh, and me had been friends. We've been chatting online and stuff. And I'd gone and visited him once in Scotland. Um, and then he said, look, I'm shooting this short film in August if you can get out. I was like, my daughter is bo- will be born in July, but yeah, no problem, I'll be there. All right. He's <laughs> so, sympathising with that right now. Congratulations, Andy, by the way. <laughs> yeah, massive congrats. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, Phoebe was about four weeks old, and I went out to Scotland to to work on Remnant with Andy. And up to that point, I had been involved in a lot of shoot, my own shoots and stuff. But seeing how like Andy's process was so professional and so well done, hmm. I was like, I literally just took notes the whole time, and I wrote yeah. like a five-page document for myself on the flight home, being like, "We need to do more like this. We need to, you know, stop doing this." And and it's so funny because Andy is like, "I can't believe you learned that much from me," because man, I felt like <laughs> I was doing nothing, and I was like, "No, it was such a more professional thing than I was used to." Hmm. I I think it's quite common to feel like an imposter, though, isn't it? If you put yourself out there and you start doing this sort of thing, um, I, I think so. I think as well. I think as well with with being a director, it's it's a very difficult role because you, you're like I'm not doing anything, but what you don't realize <laughs> is doing everything. Like, that that's the nature <laughs> of the role. Like, is you, you're basically the the person who just greenlights everything. Or, yeah. or says, like, what, what needs to be done. But, like, so at times you're kind of just standing there and you're looking at everybody hustling and bustling and moving around and you're kind of like, God, I'm doing nothing. Like, all these people are working <laughs> so hard. And you don't realize, like, it, it's not until maybe three, four months after you step off a set, you're like, oh, no, actually, yeah, like, I had to be there for that to, to happen. Yeah, I watch it happen to a friend of mine. Well, he's the guy who said, do you want to be in a film? I've worked with him on several sort of since. And 
it's like I say, it's just where I want to be. He's like, you're making it, I'm there. Like, you just rang yeah. up one day and said, do you want to build a spaceship? And I went, yep. Oh, wow. Amazing. <laughs> that, was, and that was just in his little like cupboard room yeah. in his house. And we, we just, with some plastic pallets, built that. And then three years later, sort of made it something bigger. But um, I watched him go from to just really, really small short sort of doing camera and DOP and all that kind of thing. And then to having to go, I'm directing this. I've got to stop trying to do everything else. I said, you have. Go sit yeah. down. <laughs> and then I, I know quite a few people like that. And I'm like, look, I'm gripping for you. Don't do that yourself. Tell me to go and do it. And you carry on with that thing there. So I get that. Yeah. It's just, you're so used to doing so many roles. And it's like, I suppose when things get bigger, you've got to say, no, this is, let me focus here now. <laughs> I think that definitely happened moving from the three don'ts to the parish for me because like on the three don'ts I really felt like if I didn't do something like not not trying to undermine anyone but like it was, it was more my feeling than anybody else's but I felt like if I don't do something it's not going to get done hmm. and then with the perished I had one of the biggest differences was there wasn't really like a team of producers on the three don'ts it was just a bunch of lads out making this film for the fun of it yeah whereas on the perished there was a team of producers and they were amazing uh, specifically Barry Fahey and Vashon Gill who were the two main co-producers hmm. they were like whatever you need tell us and it will be sorted and that just I was like oh my god like what an <laughs> insane feeling like, can, yeah. I, can I have like a coffee yeah. <laughs> but even down to like i'm like we need this really specific type of parochial house and i'm like checking all these ads and stuff and then they're like look you stop like we've got this like when we we'll, we'll get you a list of stuff and you can look at that like you stop doing the you know the groundwork Amazing. for it love it and it just it was something that was so now i it, now i feel spoiled like now i don't know if i could go back to, to having to do everything myself <laughs> Hey, it's open to the from here. Um, <laughs> so, okay, before we get to the perished, um, what, like, as a, I don't know anyone who makes film who isn't like, obsessed in some way by film. So, yeah. what, what was your film pedigree? What, what developed you as a cinephile? Because you must be one. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it drives my wife crazy because she's not as much of. It's crazy. It's it's funny to me because like when we go to fright when we went to fright fest together. She was every bit the cinephile I was. Like, she watched, you know, 20 movies. She was in the cinema all day. But mm. then when we get home, I'm like, okay, let's watch, like, the latest release on Shutter. And she's like, I just want to watch documentaries and go to sleep. I think <laughs> and our I'll wives get... would get on quite well. <laughs> <laughs> and I get, it. I get it that it's a distraction from, like, you know, when you, when it's a long day at work and all the rest of it. But I will force myself to watch a movie. If it's, like, 2 in the morning and I, I'm like, oh, God, i got to be up at 6, I'm like... I still have to try and fit a movie in just to <laughs> feel like I've I've done my homework. I've watched something. Um, but yeah, the, the film that kicked it all off for me uh, was I was five years old and I crept in behind the couch in my grandmother's house. Uh, my grandmother, my mother and my aunt were sitting on the couch and they decided to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street and they didn't know that I was behind the couch. <laughs> five. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. So I think that it's like a chasing the dragon experience because I feel like <laughs> I was so scared when I saw Nightmare on Elm Street at five mm. that I think I've constantly yearned for like a film to be able to do that to me again, to like scare me like that. And I don't think anything ever will. I, I, I'd love to be proven wrong, but yeah. it was just, and then I, from there on, not like me and I had a friend who'd like, we'd go to the local video store, which was in a shop. Like we lived in a rural area of Ireland and it was just a shop that had one wall with like some videos on it. Yeah. 
Um, and we'd go in there and we'd have these really crudely written notes that were like super fake that were clearly written by two eight-year-olds that just said like, Paddy is allowed to rent this movie in like crayon. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we'd like pick backwards up. yeah exactly it's like the corn logo or something yes. like that. <laughs> um, we'd like we'd bring that up with like halloween 4 is the one that sticks out in my mind because that was the first halloween i saw oh, right. Uh, right. he brought up halloween 4 and just like handed the guy by the counter is looking at it and you know he knows that this is a bullshit note <laughs> but he he still just is like, yeah, grand, whatever. And then because my mother, my mother was never really into horror films and stuff. So not that she was necessarily usually against them, but like, uh, I, I knew I couldn't hang out at my house. So I'd go to my friend Barry's house and we'd sit down and just binge horror movies together. <laughs> we all had that friend. Mine was called That's Mark it. the Bastard. So you'll hear him <laughs> reference quite often on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. We all had to have somewhere to go to, to, to indulge in this stuff. I think mm. as I got a little bit older, probably by the time I was about 10 or 12, my mother was like, they, by then she didn't care. Mm. By then she was like, do what you want. I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, so I remember, I think it was when I was 12 that I, 10 or 12 that I saw Hellraiser. And that was the one that really changed things up for me. I was mm. like, I, I think what blew me away most about Hellraiser was I was like, yeah, this is a scary film, but it's not about being a scary film. It's a big relationship drama, which I suppose when you're 10 or 12 is a little bit hard to digest. But I, I did notice it. I felt it. I was like, this isn't just about, you know, the killer coming that's going to hack you to bits or yeah. like I was like, there's actually like a real deep story thing going on here. That's insightful which made... for that age. I wasn't that insightful yeah. at that age. <laughs> I, 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 this is why I was a loner, like, because <laughs> I was like, hmm, the artistic value of Hellraiser. <laughs> Not like going out having fun with my friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I got obsessed with Clive Barker and started reading all the books. And, and yeah, like that, that was of all the films that, as I say, had a big influence, like Hellraiser is the one that I can look back to and and say, yeah, that 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 changed things. Um, so it is very so, yeah. much a it's it's a horror pedigree, like because some people sort of come to horror later through another sort of film route but like it sounds like you're you're similar to me in that it, it had an impact because you saw something too young and i find oh, that's yeah. the same for a lot of horror fans the people who don't understand horror fans we have this conversation a lot on our show it's like yeah it nearly everyone i talked to had a crept into a room heard or saw something they shouldn't snuck a video home whatever and yeah. then scared the shit out of themselves or like another story i always hear is the guy the story of i was sitting down with my dad and ma'am we were watching something on telly and then that ended and they felt they were both asleep and then something ah. came on you know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> um because i remember it's weird my dad was never my dad is not into film really at all it's so funny because he he claims that he doesn't like film but then his favorite films are all classics it's all like but it's all like Goodfellas and Casino, he's uh, gangster movies more or less. Right. But I remember, like, it's so funny because he would not call Jaws a horror film. Like, he would not. In a million years, I remember when I was about eight, he set me down. I was like, "You got to watch this. It's one of the best films ever made." And it was Jaws. And <laughs> oh God! I was like, "That's terrifying." And he's like, "No, it's it's not a scary movie. It's just it's just like a a shark movie." I'm like, "It's a horror film." I was scared of the fucking bath after that movie. Yeah. <laughs> But that's oh. like, as I say, my dad wouldn't, he would never classify that as a horror film. Um, but so that was one that was kind of constantly like anytime it was on, oh, Jaws is on. We got to watch that again for the 400th time. Are you okay uh, swimming in the sea? I mean, you say you lived in Malta and swam in the sea every day. I'd like, I, I seriously still struggle. I, 
I didn't start swimming until I was like 21. So, like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Might be a bit easier then. Well, see, when I was a kid, we had a leisure centre near us and it had a wave machine, which was quite funky back in the, the days there. But the way the waves Imagine. were generated at the end of the swimming pool, there was a big hole at the bottom of the deep end. Duh. And it had a, 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 a line <laughs> of bars in front of it. And you know what those bars look like? That looks like a shark cage. I could not go near it. Like, and if I went along the edge there and my feet dangled below the line of the bars, like my brain was convinced it was full of piranhas and orcas and sharks and because I'd seen all this shit by that yeah. time. And I just, I swam that other side of the pool. I couldn't go near it. Dreadful. Um, but yeah, like, I, as I say, I do feel that maybe it is, a, as you say, it's something that is the shared experience between a lot of horror fans. Mm. But like, it's that whole thing of, I, I feel like we all have that, desire to find something that scares us like that again yeah like when we see something that does really affect us because as i say it's almost like and we we become kind of what we hate which is that that person that's like oh yeah come on scare me like you know this is supposed to be so scary like when you hear something is the scariest thing ever you're like all right bring it on come on um and like what, what i find is as i've gotten older i less i go less for the films that like that are going to scare me in inverted commas again but like I go more for like hereditary and stuff that's going to really mess with me and yeah. like mess with my psyche and stuff. That's where I kind of have gravitated towards and more away from like the slashers and the, you know, kind of more straightforward stuff, which I still enjoy from time to time. There's no, there's no harm in that. Yeah. So if you were going to say, um, if there was one film that was just up there, like that you found later on that almost ticked that box, what would that be? Oh, that's, a, Ooh, that's question. a good question. It's a good one, though, because there's definitely, there has to be something. Um, yeah. I mean, a, a film that definitely changed, well, there's one that definitely had a gigantic effect on me, but maybe not in a scare way. But like, I mean, when I saw The Guest, I remember being like, I want to make this, like, I want to ah. make something like this, okay. like, um, because just for me, it was like seeing what they did with that movie where it basically feels like, the Terminator, but like meets Halloween, <laughs> like, and then with this neon, like, I was just like, this is such an amalgamate. Like, it's somebody taking all the things that they've loved from like the 1980s R movies and turning them into something completely original off the back of it. And, and then, funny enough, as, as another film that would also, ooh, one that it's it, it's probably a bit old now, but one that also had a big effect on me when I saw it was was. The Blair Witch, but that goes back to 2001 as well. Like I saw that, and it was oh, that fucked me up. And I was yeah. a, I was a hardened horror film, uh, fan at that point. Um, Same, it yeah. got me. It totally got me. I, I think what happened was like that. I was I was so used to the the, the campiness of of the of horror. Mm. Um, as I say, there was exceptions to that, but like the majority of horror that I'd seen had by that point had been kind of over the top and ridiculous and a bit mental. And then Blair Witch just felt so grounded and so real and so believable that it just yeah. I don't think I was prepared for that when I saw it. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Um, Are you right with yeah. motion sickness then? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I, 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 I've gotten there because I, even uh, I have the, the PlayStation VR and for my, my friend, we had a party for my friend recently and he came over to use it and he was like, he, he's obviously, his motion sickness is not good. He was, he was five minutes on it. He was going to throw up. <laughs> my, my wife can't look at the television when I'm playing mine because Re- the movement on the television of my head makes her feel sick. Um, oh, God, and I yeah. was like, okay, let's try the most basic level. There's a, <laughs> there's a Spanish, t- my wife's Spanish. There's a Spanish TV series called um, El Ministerio del Tiempo, which is like a time traveling 
crime solving type thing and they've got those vr amazing. experiences on there <clears throat> but it's basically walk around a library and look for some clues and it looks almost photorealistic because nothing's yeah. happening that's easy so, so <laughs> just put it on and just use this sit in the chair don't stand up and just move around yeah she played for five minutes failed the mission <laughs> took the headset off lay down on the sofa said i feel sick and then fell asleep <laughs> but that's as you say there's people that just if the tolerances are so crazy for yeah. that stuff um, so I think even like that, when I saw the Blair Witch in the cinema, I remember that there were people to like the left and right of me like, oh, God, oh, I'm going to be, I can't deal mm. with this. And I remember I was like, I guess I just don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm the type of person that could read in a moving car. And again, my mother was always like, how are you doing that? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I feel sorry yeah. for him because I that VR is the, one of the oh, finest things to I ever happen. I so adore much. <laughs> okay, so we're going to be PlayStation friends after this. So, um, oh, definitely. <laughs> You've got zero hour? Anyway, uh, I digress. <laughs> so um, so yes. go, go back to your film. We, we, we have to talk about this because, um, as I say, you, you got your... I don't know the story, like, how you got from script to making it, but I know that I haven't heard a bad word about this movie, and having seen it myself, I can see why. Uh, I imagine the crowd reaction at Fright Fest was quite something. Yeah, it was it was really it was really cool because uh, it wasn't like I, I knew it wasn't going to be I, I knew it wasn't going to be a big rip roaring reaction of like, you know, like like people going crazy. But it was more the amount of people that came up afterwards and c kind of took me aside and were like, oh, my God, like that really affected me. And here's why. Yeah. Like that was what the, I, my challenge for the film was was. And, and even during the film, it was listening and. I knew yet again it wasn't going to be the type of Fright Fest film where you'd hear yells and cheers and oh, whoops. No, no, no. Mm. But at the same time, you were still able to hear stuff in the crowd, like whether it was a sniffle here and there, if there was an emotional beat happening, or if there was something, if something scary was going on, you could kind of uh, sense that there, you know, the tension in the room and stuff. So it was, and then the, the Q and A was great. There was some really, really strong questions asked about, like even, even kind of. What I found very interesting was people from different cultures asking about okay. saying, you know, in my culture, this is treated like this. It's so interesting to see in your movie that it's treated similarly. Um, and I was like not expecting those kind of questions. And right. that's they're the best is the ones you, you're not expecting. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea. The opening uh, text in the film, I, I didn't know any of that. I mean, I'm so I'm not I'm no student of history, but and I'm, you know, embarrassingly ignorant of the the things Ireland has been through. Um, but just just outline it for the listeners so they know what your film's about. I, I, I will hesitate because I don't want to... I tend oh. to spoil a little bit. <laughs> so you've probably got this down pat, so I'm going to let you... I'm, I'm getting there. There was actually one or two where I think I've spoiled stuff myself. Oh, but right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, No, I think I'm finally starting to get it down. But uh, yeah, like The Perished is a social horror film and it's about a young Irish woman named Sarah who finds herself with an unplanned unwanted pregnancy um she's kind of trying to figure out uh, like how to deal with this and in the midst of that her boyfriend ends up breaking up with her and her mother kicks her out of the house and feeling like she has nobody nobody and nowhere to turn she ends up going to the uk to have an abortion which is something that, that going back to the opening crawl is something that hundreds of thousands of irish women did for many many years mm. um over to the uk and then where the film really kicks off is about it's about the stigma she feels when she comes back and how she doesn't she's afraid to re-enter society because she's sure people know what she's done and that they're going to treat her differently 
So she kind of hides out in an old country house with her best friend um, who's trying to help her get through everything. And then she finds out that where she's staying is not the best place to be recovering from this because it is a site of great tragedy um, specifically related to infants and also based on a real uh, real event that ha- was uncovered in Ireland in around 2014. Um, and it's from that point on, it's very bleak and very heavy and very sad. Um, so it's not one that, you're, as I say, people are going to like, get around, get a bunch of popcorn and be like, oh, great crack. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a bleak <laughs> film. <laughs> but I mean, I suppose when the, the credits roll, it's the, it, you know, if it's been a comedy horror, but you expect this uproarious applause and cheers and everything else. Yet when a film like that rolls and it's a success, there's this sort of quiet pensiveness to the audience because they're still digesting Digest- what they just saw. Exactly. I, I, um, I mean, I, I experienced that. I, I, when I went to the cinema to see Hereditary, at the end, people were just like, they looked like they were just in stun. Like, there was a handful of people that were like, this was the worst thing ever, and stormed out of the cinema. <laughs> it wasn't for you! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there was like the handful of, like, jock lads who were like, this film sucks! Like, I thought this was supposed to be a horror movie! And they stormed out. But then there was a lot of people left just sitting there, just kind of looking, like, around, just being like, what did we just... We yeah. just shared, like, some kind of traumatic experience, you know? <laughs> Um, and that was kind of what I hoped the parish would achieve. And like that, yeah, when the film ended, there was like the, there was clapping and there was, you know, but like it was this almost hesitant, like, what did we just experience? Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what you'd hope for through a film like this. Um, and it's, so, yeah, that was good. <laughs> it's a hell of a brave subject matter because you've got, uh, I mean, and this is where I think you're getting so much praise is because you've, you've hit it tonally just right because it, there's, <laughs> look at our friends over the pond yeah there's a there's one side or the other there's nowhere in the middle you know <laughs> that was and, that was the number one thing for me and it's it's similar like seeing what's what's been happening even in in the uk with brexit it happened mm-hmm. here during the the referendum around um abortion rights and then what's happening in the states it's just and social media is definitely a proliferator of it is this like you know inability to be able to sit down and discuss things like just be like like, here's my reasoning or rationale. Instead, it's just resorts to people shouting at each other, calling each other names, yeah. just backing the other side's argument down. And I, I saw that I, where the real inspiration for the film came from was that during the, the referendum here, there was that mentality. And I knew people on both sides who I knew their backstories and knew why they were you know, pro-life or pro-choice. Yeah. But because they weren't communicating with each other other than to just shout at each other online, I was like... Like, you don't even understand what the other person is going through. And if you did, maybe you'd be like, okay, while I will never agree with your decision, it's your decision. And I'm just going to, like, back, like, we, we can leave it be. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, to me, it had to land. Uh, in early drafts, it was a lot more preachy. I'm going to be honest. Like, in the, the mm. first or second drafts, it was a lot more preachy. And I'm I'm pro-choice myself. So it was it leaned a lot more towards that. Yeah. Um, and then I realized, I was like, no, this can't. If, if it becomes like a propaganda piece, then it's a failure. Like, mm. then it, it hasn't worked. It has to tread a line where it it tries to at least give everybody room to say something yeah. and not just shove one opinion down down people's throats. I think you got that spot on because um, when I when I saw the subject matter, I saw where it was going. I was like, wow, brave. Because <laughs> it's, you know, like there are just certain issues that are more polarizing than others. And it really is north and south up and down there's the 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 middle ground's not 
often talked yeah. about and like you say it all comes down to everyone's personal upbringing experience beliefs all that kind of stuff you know so and and yeah there's a million reasons why people make decisions in life but the problem is none of that's ever in the, in the modern age where you can just be like no you are wrong and that's your entire argument mm. then there's no room to discuss well the reason you know what the reasoning behind something um but yeah it was it's funny because i think mitch bain said something very similar which was like about you know the tone that he was like when i heard that this was the film you were going to be tackling i i was worried for you because <laughs> because i was like you know oh and and he, mitch had said from the start you have to land down one side you can't tread the middle and then mitch was one of the people that when i came out of the screening and came down the stairs at fright fest he was waiting at the bottom of the stairs and he was like you handled that ex excellently like it was oh, perfect and I, I was in shock like because as i say he had told me early on you need to pick a side you can't just tread the line on this and then i think he was actually super appreciative that that i did um i just think it's important it, that you did it, it is important that people are and this it's the same in politics as well. i i try not to get involved in it myself because yeah. i find that kind of venom is just i don't need that shit in my life but there are important exactly. issues and i think people could just do with unnailing their colors from their mast a little bit on some things and just starting to Use a bit of empathy, see where other people are coming yeah. from, and and just not be so dogmatic about everything. So I love. And that's that. that's my favorite uh, quote today about the film was I can't remember who specifically said it, so I apologize to whoever did, but it's in one of the reviews that somebody said this film is not pro life, it's not pro choice, it's pro empathy. I was like, you got it, oh, you nailed great. it. <laughs> I was like, that's that's exactly what the film. Oh my god, like that. It's so funny because you, you when you make something like this, you hope against hopes that people will see that stuff but then like by the time you're about to premiere you're like i like i could be seeing something totally different in this and maybe when people see it they'll they'll and even there was one or two reviewers that for me totally missed the point of the film and thought it was about thought it was a kind of a a pro-life parable about how women should be punished for what they do and i'm like no you could not have missed they the man more yeah i don't want to pay attention <laughs> yeah I, I think i think i can understand why they why they might think that but uh, what i said back to that was i said you know it's this is not a film saying that this is what should be done to women it's saying that historically this is the way women have been treated yeah um and that those are two very different things mm. um but even the end of the film which i'm not going to spoil or anything but like it was it's left intentionally ambiguous because and it didn't, it wasn't always like in one or two of the, even actually when we were on set shooting it, we did film, I think two alternate ends. Okay. Um, but where it ends for me is a place where as you're walking out after seeing it, you could, if you were a pro, someone on the pro-life side or someone on the pro-choice side, you could at least discuss that ending and say, well, I, what I thought from it was this, mm -hmm. well, what I thought from it was this. And I, I don't, I'm kind of not here to say, well, you're right and you're wrong. It's more like, no, you're both like, you interpreted it whatever way you want. So you're whoever, you know, whatever you choose, you're right. I'm not trying to tell you what to think. Did, um, you, did you see the um, Red Christmas that played the other year? I did. I remember that was in Shepherd's Bush, I think. Was, yeah. yeah, that was a ride. <laughs> well, I mean, what did you think coming out of that? Because like my, my little group of friends I always go to Fry Fest with, we had we had a completely polarizing well not a polarizing thing, just different reactions entirely coming out of that. And some of my crew were absolutely incensed by it. I I I know that I think from I think it for me I I don't know what was up with me during that screening, but I think I was falling asleep constantly. Oh, bless. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Because, like, I remember, yeah, like, it was, I can see how it would infuriate people. Like, I can see that it's handled maybe a little sloppily and a little, at times, almost feels more like a spoof than a serious thing. But I just appreciated that it was saying, it was trying some bold stuff. Now, I haven't seen the documentary about the making of it, which is apparently as good good, (laughs) or better than the movie. It's so much better. It's brilliant. I love that. I need to see it because, like, I, I, I'll say that I found the film interesting. You know what I mean? I was watching it and I was like, like, this is a bizarre oddity of a film. Um, well, I mean, if you, but, yeah, but you talk about films and things going wrong in the process. I mean, what that guy went through to make that but, film. I mean, that's why it's such a fascinating documentary. But what was interesting, we came out of that film and like, a couple of friends were in, in sense that basically, oh, so what you're saying is if you are horrible enough a person to have an abortion, um, this is an allegory where the, your aborted fetus comes back and tries to kill you for it. Um, and I came out of it going, that was a, a dumb, sort of, not dumb, sorry, but um, how should we say, a, a, a flippant, slasher movie where the slasher just happens to be somebody who's a failed abortion basically and I think the director's thought behind this was oh what if this happened and he tried to kill his whole family yeah and that was all the political thought that went into it and that was how I viewed it because I am Mr okay I'm I'm Mr take your brain out of the door watch film don't think too much about film until afterwards yeah exactly I, I come out and then I sort of process and I just sort of let Sig watch over it. I found it really, there's some really funny kills. It's, there's some funny bits. So I, it's, I really, I thought the humor in it was really funny. That's the main thing I remember is that like, I, I think I was sitting with my friend Sam uh, and the two of us were just laughing. But like, I think every film at Fright Fest is to some extent like that. Like, well, so many of them are this, these usually polarizing experiences because hmm. that same year, 2016, me and Sam saw a film called Wind, The Windmill Massacre which was like it was not what I would consider a PC film by any means. There was just stuff handled in it so poorly mm. that it ended up being ridiculously funny. Like, <laughs> but we were the only two people in the cinema that seemed to think so. So we we're like <laughs> laughing about this, and people are like, "What are you laughing at?" And we're like, "Do you not see how stupid this is?" <laughs> like, um, and I think sometimes, like you say, it's people when something has any kind of message or or any kind of uh, content that could be considered kind of hotbed or explosive or, you know, with potential political, um, people find it very difficult to step back and just try to see it just for what it is, which is an hour and a half's entertainment usually. Yeah. Um, I, I, one like that for me is I really enjoyed Puppet Master Littlest Reich at Fright Fest. <laughs> yes. I thought <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah. I thought it was so funny. I was in hysterics and then I came out of the screening and went to the pub and people were like, what a load of garbage. It was so anti-Semitic. It was so this. And I was like, I did not get any of that. Like for me, it just, it just felt like a ridiculous hour and a half ramp. Like I didn't, I didn't feel like there was any politics being said at all. I thought it was no, just ridiculous. <laughs> um, no, it was like, I, these uh, things are Nazis. Nazis don't like this. These <laughs> groups of people, they're going to kill them first. I mean, again, again, that's overthinking a movie where the yeah. director just went, Hey, this would be cool if this thing happened. That's the puppets. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the whole thought process. Yeah. So basically, the Red Christmas documentary, I actually missed the beginning, annoyingly, just the first five minutes because I went to the wrong cinema. Long story. Oh, um, but, <laughs> so, but apparently when he started it, I said, so what was the big political point at the beginning? What did you say about that? And he said, oh, um, he just said that I had this idea and decided to make this movie. I said, see, told you. That's how much thought went into it. It was not a political statement. But um, yeah. it was and so then funny. Kind of- 
kind of coming back to to the parish. I mean, that was probably the scarier thing about it was that it was you you knew well. I knew going into it that okay, I am saying something here. Like yeah. I can't I can't hide hide behind that. Oh come on, guys, it's just a bit of goofy fun. Get over it. <laughs> but at the same time, I I knew as I say, once I got past that initial idea of trying of like once I got past that initial kind of basis for the film in this kind of pro choicey preachy area mm. and i moved more into that kind of empathy focused one i was like okay this is a film i know that i can i can get behind i can release and it's not trying to force its opinion on anyone it's just saying something about the state of ireland and then people can make their own minds up beyond that um that was kind of the extent of my thought on it as we went along was like okay like let people discuss it mm. in the world afterwards but like, don't give them something that's like, this is the definitive answer to this very sensitive subject, you know? I mean, what what pride to want to do that anyway if you did, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I would never want to assume I was right on such an issue. So it's like, exactly to, to prompt discussion and talking points and just, you know, maybe, as like I say, unlock this polarized, you know, way of being and actually get people to have grown up conversations because I miss that in... Same. Social media. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, what's interesting was by the time that you know we had, by the time we were shooting the film and everything, the referendum had happened, um, and the you know, people were kind of going to me. Are you sure the film's going to work now? Because you know we're we're the referendum's passed. We're through that. And I'm like, but we're not though because like no. I think it passed by two percent. There you go. So yeah. I, I was like, there's still forty eight percent of the country that that feel a different way and. Just because this was passed, A, legislation hasn't been written in officially yet, mm. and B, mindsets don't change overnight. Like, after years and years of stigma and taboo, people aren't just going to wake up and go, well, that was voted democratically, so I guess I'm okay with it now. Like, that exactly. doesn't happen. Does, doesn't change people's uh, experiences. Yeah. No. So, I I mean, it still prompts discussion. And what's happening in, in Northern Ireland, um, similar, they're going through a similar thing to what we just went through with the, the referendum. Mm. And then even in the States with the whole, with everything that's happened in Alabama and stuff like that, yeah. which, I mean, I don't know whether, I don't know whether like it's, it's hindering trying to get a, a festival in the States or what, but yeah, like the only place that we've struggled to get a festival screening so far is the States. And I'm like, I wonder, is it because it is such a, like it's such a political issue over there oh, and yeah. um, such a deeply emotional well it's the other thing it's it's not just political it's emotional um mm. so th those two things together are very dangerous um but yeah i i'm just hoping that obviously the, the right festival comes along and sees it for what it is and says oh this could be a great film to prompt discussion so you know we'd love to to screen it yeah i feel uh, like you just need that open door and then others will see it you know yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think, um, I mean, what's interesting is a lot of American filmmakers that I've sent it to. So like a good example would be um, Eric Penikoff, who did Sadistic Intentions at Fright Fest, and Brett Pierce, who, who was one of the co-directors of The Wretched. Hmm. They, I've sent it to both of those guys, and they were like, oh my God, man, I love this. They were like, this is like so like emotionally investing and important and slow and resonant, and like they loved it. And I was like, I wish festival organizers thought like you guys. They were like, they were like, no, like it's it's not that. It was like it's it's that they're like, especially for the Halloween season, they are looking for the kind of the bombastic spectacle. Yeah, of course. Um, and they were like, but this is the kind of film that once it does get a ground over here, they were like, it will 
it will, you know, be a talking point for people. So that was kind of encouraging, you know, when you're kind of like, oh, crap, no one's taking my film. Is it bad or something? <laughs> like, you've got those taglines from here. Like, they're all <laughs> legit. They're, <laughs> you know, you can fill a poster now, dude. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, it's crazy because it, it has been really well received where it's been screened. And, and then, like I say, and reviewers have been very kind about the film and stuff. And I do think that the Irish premiere is going to be a really good place to see because a lot of the people that will be there are, will have lived through this, you know what I mean? Or, or known someone who's, who's lived through it. And to me, that's going to be a real kind of test for it to some extent. Um, because another conversation that I had a lot at Friedfest was people saying like you, so don't feel like you're too out of the loop. Loads <laughs> of people saying, I didn't know this happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and even, you know, uh, female friends of mine in the UK were like, I never knew this happened and I, that never seemed like something that I, they were like, you know, when I was a young woman, I never had that fear. Like if anything happened to me that I could, that that, that was off the cards. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, so it, it, it was actually probably what made it more of a scary film to, to some of them was that, that idea of like, Oh, if I was told tomorrow that that's just not a, an option, not a possibility that, um, that that would be a lot scarier than even the, the monsters and the ghouls and the creatures. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so. yeah, so getting that information out there, that's that's important as well. So uh, let's talk about the process, because I love the process, because oh. I love being on set and stuff like that. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, let, 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 let's do a, a horror list and, and a love list. So <laughs> should we start with the negative? Like, what, what were the challenges? Where did you think, oh, my God, what are we doing? How have we got here? <laughs> there must have been it's, some moments. It's so crazy because after the three don'ts where so much went wrong, really, genuinely and truly, so little went wrong on this shoot. I, I won't Amazing. say nothing did, but it was, like, crazy small amount by comparison to other. And, like, we finished on schedule almost every day, which was, yet again, something I was never <laughs> – nev- we were usually four to six hours over schedule on every day on the three don'ts. So um, – but I think, I mean, examples are there was one scene that we had to shoot and we were going to shoot it down by a lake. And then it was lashing out of the heavens, which is something that always happens here, which is I try, I, I always try to write <laughs> predominantly indoors now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was lashing out of the heavens. So we we're like, OK, we're not going to go down there and do that. How are we going to do this? And then it, the idea was, well, let's just do it at the front door of the house. And what's interesting is when we came to editing it, we were like, man, if this was down by the lake, it would not fit. It would not oh, work. Really interesting. Yeah, it, it ended up being one of those things that it was like, this was actually the best possible thing that could have happened. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then I'm just trying to think. I mean, I think it didn't even have people turn up to set late because we were sleeping on set for the majority of it at the house. Of course. So yeah. <laughs> um, normally when you're waiting, you know, call times and you're waiting for people to arrive, um, I would say probably that the toughest weekend of the shoot was the last weekend, which was all the heavy creature makeup, special effects stuff. Yeah. Um, that was the because I had scheduled from experience with having done some you know special effects stuff before. I I had scheduled what I thought was appropriate, but I was I'm always scared because what I think was appropriate, and even discussing it with the makeup team, you just don't know if on the day something goes wrong, something doesn't stick, something doesn't work, and then. You're, you're two hours behind again but we were fairly lucky in that the even the makeup went fairly well and we had some really good on-set advisors that last weekend who helped with the makeup department and, and kind of stood in with them and say you know gave feedback and advice on what looked good and what didn't so yeah it was the last weekend was definitely the most and also i think 
what's it, 24 or 48, 72 hours. I think we were shooting for, or we were like up and rolling for about 68 of that oh, or 64. Geez, yeah. <laughs> like there was such limited sleep that last wow. weekend. Um, I think you had the house for limited time. I mean, what's the story with the house, the, the location? Yeah, we, we, uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of a funny story around that, which is that um, the lady who owned the house at the time, she since sold it. <laughs> oh, <wow>. But, <laughs> When we went and we were chatting to her about could we use the house for the film and everything and we were going to, you know, obviously pay her for use of it. Um, And we turned up and she's kind of like, I'm very religious now, so there's nothing evil in this film, is there? (laughs) (laughs) I I went, Hide the pentagram, hide the pentagram. (laughs) I was like, no, 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 nothing evil at all. (laughs) And Barry, Barry, my cinematographer, looks at me like, what? And I'm like... I'm like afterwards I'm like it's not evil like it depends on what way you want to view it but like oh, yeah. it's not a, a demonic entity or anything like but um and then she said I'm a good catholic and I said oh yeah me too and Barry was like that's the biggest lie you've ever told <laughs> in my presence but um then when we made the film I came back to her and she was like being honest I don't care what you've done with it I've sold the house anyway so <laughs> <laughs> she didn't sell it because it was now tainted no, no. <laughs> but uh yeah so uh, we had that for two weekends so six days friday saturday sunday twice Holy so shit, six days wow yeah and then we had six days for the other side of the shoot so we had 12 days total um and yeah six days in the house and i mean it's that's a hard fit because mm. about a good the majority of the film takes place in the house yeah um but it was we didn't have to do a lot of production design to the place because it was it just looked like that it just looked that was a great thing about really? it was like we arrived there and we're like okay let's just hang up some religious imagery I guess but we're more or less you know <laughs> where we need to be uh, yeah so that saved some time um, yeah it's a fantastic location though like I think that I think if we if we didn't have that location I I don't know what we would have done because. It just worked so perfectly. The house is as much a character in the film as, as anybody else. And yeah, yeah. It, it needed to be right. So we really lucked out um, with the place. Brilliant. So like big loves of this, you know, big feature. I mean, obviously it sounds like having a team of producers is one of them because it sounds like they ran an amazingly tight ship, which is. Oh, they, they really did. And um, producers, assistant director, uh, Marie Howrigan, she she was constantly on board. And the makeup team were fantastic as mm-hmm. well. They were always running really efficiently um you know and then even camera department my one of the producers barry Fahey's also the cinematographer like the dp okay. um and he kind of said to me early on do you mind if i hire my own camera department like do you, like do you mind if i go out and find and i was like of course i want you to do that because <laughs> that's the best yeah like you know, if you have people you're comfortable working with, I don't want to tell you you have to work with this AC and this whatever, and then you turn up and you hate them and it all falls apart. Like you pick people that. So he did. He went out and he got you know an AC and and B cam operator and stuff, and they gelled really well. And and so that's the thing. Once you have kind of people who can work together seamlessly, it just it takes a lot of the sting out of it. I was able to really focus on performance yeah. on this shoot. Um. And it was kind of the first time probably in all like uh, the shorts I've done and, and the previous feature and stuff where I really like tried to evoke certain responses from from the talent. Like especially there's one key scene where Sarah and her best friend have a big fight mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the, the living room. And I just I was kind of very much pushing there to try and get the performances to this elevated place. Um, but I, it was kind of cool because I think people were maybe like 
not used to that on our previous shoots because it was always a bit of fun and just a bit of, you know, whereas this was like I, I was suddenly a lot more intent on getting a certain performance. And I think people were like, oh, shit, we're making something serious. Like, you know, this is, yeah. oh, this isn't just a bit of fun and a bit of crack. Like, we're actually doing something legit. <laughs> so you're like shouting at him to rile him up a little bit. Like, come on. <laughs> um, Get angry. No, well, well, like, the thing is, it was interesting because, like, yeah, oh, like, I won't get into it though, uh, but yeah, like one of the cast, like there wasn't quite coming up to where they needed to be. And I was kind of, so everybody was like clapping after the first, you know, take. And I came out and I was like, no, no clapping. It's not done yet until we get the reverse. It's not good enough. Like it's mm. not good enough having one reaction. You know, one reaction doesn't sell the scene. We need both. And mm. it was, as I say, I don't think people had ever seen me like that. So they were like, I'm with Petty, like ego trip. Much. Damn, shit's getting real. <laughs> Yeah. And it's so funny because people, I would hope, would say I'm on set. I'm not in any way like that. But it was just I knew the importance of the scene. Yeah, yeah. I just knew how how hard we had to to hit that mark. But um, yeah, and it was kind of like I finished that day and went to bed for my two and a half hours sleep or whatever. Yeah. Um, like I went to bed thinking like, holy shit, I directed today. <laughs> Like, I'm a real boy. Yeah, this is the first time in five years that I sat down and went, oh my God, I actually directed people. <laughs> um, I mean, because, Frank, so, you've, you see, you've got a similar character to me in that you're, you're happy, you know, outwardly, probably most of the time. People see you as a positive, upbeat guy. But when, like, it, then it does take people by surprise when you just suddenly, like, right, no fucking about rubbers yes. in the road here this is serious when people see me go into that mode for the first time it's like they sometimes go oh, all right oh, steady on yeah <laughs> i i can definitely say that we are so very much the same because yeah when when it when it clicks and we need to get moving and as i say on the previous film it was such it was so madcap that like it was so hard to ever get into that zone because there was just always such messing going on. Yeah. And there was such a huge amount of people on set all the time. Whereas on this, it was a bit more tighter and more focused. So yeah, when I would just be like, like, as you say, in that zone of like, come on, we, you know, we're going to finish on schedule. We're going to do this. We're going to get the best performances and really kind of clicked into it. I think, yeah, there was people kind of, you could see side eye going on like, Oh man, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <That was him>. <laughs> <laughs> He's so happy. What's his problem? <laughs> um and yeah it's weird because it was a really fun set like it, as as weird as that sounds for the film that it is um there was a lot of laughing and joking going on because i think because it was so heavy um it was the only way to alleviate some of that like oh, that yeah, obviously yeah. when the actors needed you know time and space to to get in the zone we would always be like of course you know and everybody stop messing but uh, sometimes the actors were the worst people for it they just had to break you know after a certain scene really high emotional scene they'd have to break it with a laugh right. just kind of so they probably didn't start continuing continuously crying and having you know mm. um but yeah it was it was a funny set like that which I don't think any of us going into it expected that, that we were like, okay, we've read the script. We know it's this really sensitive, serious, heavy, dramatic film. I don't think any of us would have thought that it was going to be such a fun shoot. (laughs) But yeah, it was. (laughs) It was amazing. And yeah, I'm I'm so happy for you that it wasn't, you know, you didn't have to go through that shit and the horror stories that you hear about. Well, as I say, I'd experienced them tenfold on the three notes. So it's almost (laughs) like a little bit of positive karma of like, well, look, You've been through that, and that was hell on earth. So here you go. <laughs> Here's the shoot that actually runs pretty well, pretty smoothly. Um, and, like, I mean, 
I, I, I don't know, like, just to kind of quickly talk about it as well, is that, like, a lot of it came down to the team, like, because it was such a such an efficient team and just such a good team. Yeah. Um, the cast were all phenomenal to work with. Um, there was no egos being thrown around or, you know, mm. um, nobody. Everybody was willing to listen to direction. And likewise, I was willing to, to obviously listen to the, the actors telling me what they wanted to maybe try and bring through in their characters. Um, especially Courtney, who plays Sarah. I mean, we had to land on the same page about Sarah, yeah, because it was such an important character. But oh, I knew yeah. that I, I knew that I couldn't just tell Courtney that this is who you have to be. That she had to find her as well because she's going to be playing her for the majority. Like she's on near, in nearly every scene of the movie, so mm. um, it's 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 really down to her. And she was involved from the very early stages. Um, but yeah, whereas other. I mean, on other shoots, I've worked on a one name any specifically, but there there is times where like people are tired, egos flare up, and people get disgruntled and grumpy, and catering's late, and people, you know, yeah, yeah. and it just suddenly you're like you're fighting with three people, and you're like, why is this happening? Like that surprisingly did not happen once. Like everybody, even if there was any issue, I felt like I had a team of problem solvers around me, like yeah. between producers and everybody else. If something was happening, rather than just being like, "Well, what are you going to do about it, Patty?" <laughs> <laughs> um, they would be like, "Okay, it's cool. We got this. What we can do is, and every we'd all convene in a room and we'd come up with a solution very quickly. And we'd be like, "Okay, cool. Let's do that." And when, um, when it's long days and lack of sleep mixed in with that, that's so important and that's kind oh, of precious. Time. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I would relive that experience again. Like, do you know what I mean? Whereas the, with the three don'ts and the, and just, I, I love the film and I, I looking back and I have this huge nostalgia for the shoot. But then I remember that in it, that like that nostalgia is a bit like that whole thing they say about giving birth where it's like you, you forget <laughs> how painful <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a little bit like that where I look back at like the behind the scenes. And I'm like, Oh, it was, it was the best time ever though. And then I think about it. I'm like, was it though? <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was important it was definitely important but yeah the the parish was was a much more um it felt like much more of an accomplishment at the end of it it was like in 12 days with limited resources and everything we i felt like you know we we really did what we set out to do um without having to go do 60 percent reshoots oh yes that too yeah <laughs> so you sit in the edit seat oh fuck <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was the scariest man when I first mm. like my editor Aaron Walsh who's edited the majority of my stuff when I sat down with him in like the January we shot in like November and he had a rough cut done by end of January just a rough assembly mm. and I sat down and looked at it and I drove home and I was like I've wasted everyone's time this is absolute garbage oh, really? I was like, I can't believe yeah <laughs> that first assembly I was like oh my god <clears throat> and then what I ended up doing was on the drive home, I was just thinking all this that like it, it was a failure and it let let everyone down. And then, about halfway from from Aaron's back to mine, I went, "Okay, shut up your pity party. What can we do?" And then, what what I actually ended up doing was I came back to Aaron. I think the next day, with I was like, "Can we move this scene to here? And can we change and just re remixed what was there?" Yeah. Um. So really, the film that is there is is actually quite divergent from the script in terms of layout. Okay. Uh, it became a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle of kind of going, okay, actually, you know, it is meant to be like this, but if we take these parts and put them here, it actually looks a bit nicer. Hmm. Um, so like, because one of the main criticisms I had at that first assembly at it was 
I think it was 33 minutes before even the first slight genre element crept in. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's yeah. like, that's way too long. Mm. So it was like, okay, if we eliminate some of this stuff and we pull this scene back to here, it was like, now, as you know, 20 minutes in, we have the first genre moment popping up. Um, but yeah, it was, it was so funny because my favorite thing about, one of my favorite things about the Fright Fest premiere was it was most of the casts, for, it was all of the casts first time uh, seeing it. And uh, because the only people who had seen it were myself, Barry, and the the colorist. Oh no, Barry is the colorist. Um, <laughs> the the composer and the sound mixer. We were the only four people who had seen it. Oh wow! And so the talent, like the actors, they did not know about these remixes and like that that certain scenes happen in different places and stuff. Oh, brilliant! And just yeah. like, holy crap! Like that's. <laughs> that makes so much more sense. And we we had to get very lucky with that stuff because it was a case of like our costumes gonna match. Like if we cut this scene and move it here, mm. and we got so lucky when we started going back through and moving stuff around. We were like, oh my god, I can't believe this is working. Out. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely some blind luck in there as well. <laughs> um, Fantastic. <clears throat> so, are you have you got plans now to use the same crew on something going forward? You got uh, stuff in the pipeline? Definitely. Um, I mean, I've worked with majority of that crew, with the exception of maybe, as I say, the camera department and stuff, um, I had worked with before. Um, and then the guys who came in from the camera department, I would definitely work with them again too, because as I say, just the, the process went so smoothly. Yeah. Um, but funnily enough, for the next thing that I'm doing, I'm I'm kind of going down a, a slightly experimental route. Um in between big projects because I'm currently trying to get a big project off the ground. And, hmm. um, but I know that it's going to take time. It's, you know what I mean? It takes a long time with oh, yeah. trying to get funding and, and everything. Um, so while I'm trying to do that, I was like, well, I still want to make something, you know, I want to be still going out making stuff. So a couple of years ago, if someone had said to me, would you ever in your entire wildest dreams, make a film footage film? I would have said, absolutely not. I hate them never in a million years. <laughs> and then I, uh, to put it in perspective, then I saw Creep, and I was ah. like, "Oh my god, that is such an amazing fun footage film." <laughs> yeah, um, and it's funny because obviously, as I said earlier, I love the Blair Witch and stuff, but that felt again like a bit of an exception. Um, and then of course everybody was doing it. it's just been overdone yeah. and exactly, yeah, and like they're we're still brilliant. Done with them, aren't we? We think well, that's it. Unless they're unless they're doing something kind of new, it's it's hard to are feeling they feel fresh in some way, um, and like. I, I ended up writing this kind of story and I realized the only way that this will work is as a fun footage. And then so I kind of posed it to the guys. I was like, look, do you want to do a little experimental shoot where it's like much smaller crew than we used on The Perished? Um, it's kind of almost a two-hander performance-wise. Um, and it just, I was like, it's going to be a quick shoot. It's going to be an experiment. It could turn out to be absolute mock. It could turn out brilliant. <laughs> but it'll be something to do and we can look at it and, it, you know, and hopefully... It, for me, I've always said that it's about a lot of it comes down to the story, the concept and the performance. Like, and if those three things can be nailed and the aesthetic works, then, then I'm like, okay, we've got another film that, I'm, that we're all proud of on our hands. Um, yeah. And as long as you so, don't have uh, I've got to keep filming cause people are going to want to know what happened. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I swear to God, I've done so much research and all that stuff now as well, because like, I'm like, I, I we can't fall into that trap of, uh, there, there's one scene and I'll talk about it briefly that drove me crazy when I saw Cloverfield um, in the cinema <laughs> where 
TJ Miller's character, who I now realize, I was like, who would do that? And then I was like, okay, TJ Miller would, yeah. Um, it, there's a part where the, his friend is finding out that his mother has, has cancer, and TJ Miller's character is just zooming in on them. And I'm like, who would do that? <laughs> who would stand there while their best friend is finding out his mom has cancer and just be like slowly zooming in for the emotion on the face? Ooh, yeah. Like, I, I was just like, worst friend ever. <laughs> Um, that's so bad of me yeah so i kind of was like look you know those are the kind of things that we that i can't have with this so yeah yeah, we are we're looking at bucking some of those trends and uh i did look at um i watched a bunch of film footage films in preparation and one that i really liked was the first hell house hell house llc okay yeah and then i watched the second and third and i was so disappointed (laughs) because all the work they did in the first they really just completely undid in the second and third Mm. um but yeah, the, the first was a great, uh, that was good as well, because I got to kind of experience in the first, here's how to do a phone footage film fairly effectively. And then I watched two and three and went, and here's how to ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> with, with the same people, yeah. Uh, yeah. Same, yeah. Um, One of my favorite yeah, found footage moments is actually in Rec 3. I and, love it. I love the Rec series. And it's so. the whole, what the fuck are you doing with that camera? Takes it off him, smashes it. Now we have a normal film. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I cheered when that happened. I was like, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like as i say it, it's such a tricky like it's such a tricky thing to do right but mm. if, if somebody does it right as i say those ones like creep to me is the best example of it yeah where it just it feels beyond naturalistic um that and as i say look if the film doesn't work out it'll it'll either wind up on youtube for free or you'll <laughs> never see the light of day but either way um, it's just fun to go back out there and challenge ourselves and try something else while we're waiting to get this other Film off the ground. Absolutely. Um, and kind of quickly, one thing actually to briefly ju- touch on just before we move off the parish and stuff is that like, I just need to give a quick shout out to the the cast and stuff because mm. they, they just did such a, f- like especially Courtney McKeown who played Sarah, she really carried the film on her shoulders because yeah, um, she had to do so much with it. Um, and Paul Fitzgerald who plays David, the friend who was the revelationary discovery of the film because um, I'd never worked with him before and he really came in and just I wasn't expecting him to be so fantastic and he, he really was. He was, yeah. Um, Fia Coons and Lisa Terrell who play brother and sister Shane and uh, Rebecca. The, I've worked with them before. Absolutely loved them and I found like, yet again, just working with people that you know that you have the shorthand with just makes such a difference. Yeah. Um, uh, Noel and Connor, who played the parents, Sarah's parents, uh, just I love their dynamic because Elaine or Noel, who plays Elaine, is so short and Connor is so tall. Yeah. And, and she's terrifying. She's so, <laughs> she's so dominant of him. Like she puts yes. him in place and she's she's the scariest thing in the film. She is, yeah. I was actually, um, earlier when you were talking about it, I was going to say, please tell me she's lovely in real life. <laughs> she's so nice. She legit could not be further away from her character. Um, but it's so funny because uh, very first showing of the trailer at Fright Fest Glasgow, um, a girl from London that was chatting to outside uh after the trailer was like that mother in the trailer she was like that's my mother my mother is irish and if that if i came home and she found out stuff like that that's exactly how she'd react and i was like okay now the scariest thing to me is i wrote that thinking it was a little bit hyperbolic it's terrifying to me that that person does legitimately exist um so yeah uh i i noelle is definitely one of the standouts for me just her performance in it um, and then I, I absolutely love our creature performer, Stephen Tuberty, who who plays the creature in the film Killing, mm. uh, just because I knew I needed someone who'd actually tr- play that as a part and not just be like, yeah, put me in a suit and I'll 
I'll pretend like Gerard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew I needed someone who'd 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 think they were the next Doug Jones. You know what I mean? Yes. Who'd be like who'd who'd really actually care about like oh like when you have a creature performer who's actually asking you, you know, what are my motivations for this scene? I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's not just yeah, yeah, put me in the rubber suit and I'll flap around. You know? <laughs> um, because it makes all the difference when you actually look at it in the edit. You're like, okay, this all cuts together because we have a consistent performance. Um, so yeah, like a really huge kudos to him. And then as I say, the makeup team, uh, did an incredible job with, with the creature. Um, and then just a huge kudos to everybody else as well. Um, but yeah, de- definitely the, the cast, I think were, they, they deserve special mention just cause they're so awesome. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, uh, you've, you've all created something you should be very, very proud of. And I say the, the reviews are bearing that out and I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for the the breaking of the states now. Then I'm I'm co- convinced that's going to happen for you. But <laughs> awesome. like I, I, it will. As I say, it'll be one of those things that it just takes. It's like even with sales and everything. I'm like, it just takes the right partner. It just takes the right people to come along and see it and say, oh, this is exactly what we're kind of. Like. It's funny because I know a festival programmer in the US who would absolutely love to program the film. They've told me that like like they would dream of programming the film. But the festival that they run is a a female director's exclusively festival. Oh. <laughs> and and she's like, why couldn't this film have been directed by a woman? She's like, it's so good and it hits all the beats and everything. But I, I can't make that exception because oh. if I do, the floodgates open. Yeah. And I'm like, I totally understand that. <laughs> um, but like, that's what I mean. I think there is the right people out there. They're just, you know what I mean, waiting for or it, it, it'll land there and when it does it'll be cool because i think it will when i think when it does go to the states there will be some interesting discussions to be had out of it um definitely i'd like to hear some q and a's from out there actually oh <laughs> so, yeah same yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah and then the the next project beyond the littlest found footage film as i say the much bigger one is uh set during the irish war of independence um so it's a period piece back in the 19 in 1920 mm. And it's about kind of the, the the broad pitch, actually, without kind of going too much into it, is that or the broad kind of uh, like comparisons anyway, hmm. it it would be basically the wind that shakes the barley meets assault on precinct 13 meets Hellraiser. Um, Whoa, <laughs> that's that's what. And so, as I say, trying to get that off the ground is going to be a nightmare because in a country that doesn't typically have a great track record of supporting genre film. Um, mm. Like I, I do, I really want to work with Screen Ireland, our funding body here, and I, I'm never trying to knock them like or anything like that. But it's just I know that it, it's just a very hard genre to get funding for. Yeah. But uh, hopefully with this one, um, there's a chance for that. <laughs> well, we wish you every success, and like uh, you know, break. I, I can't wait to see what you do next. To be honest. Uh, uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm still making films. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after each one, there's this point where you're like, will I keep doing this? <laughs> um, which actually, I mean, that is the one thing I didn't really talk on there was about, like, I, after the three don'ts, I, I was pretty much going to give up on filmmaking because it kind of was such a painful experience. It didn't set the world on fire when it went out. You know, I did well at festivals, but like nothing major. Mm. And then... Uh, so I was kind of really unsure about whether I was going to keep going. And then it was because of Fright Fest and meeting Joe Lynch at Fright Fest. Uh, 
he gave me the inspiration, kind of gave me the kick up the ass to get back and, and write, start writing right. something, which became The Perished. Um, big, yeah, big time. Cause, and that's why I think for me, the Fright Fest premiere for The Perished was the most important one. I didn't really, beyond that, I'm not, you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. no there's no absolutes that are like, oh, we have to hit this. Fe-. The main one was Fright Fest because it was like, it was born out of a chat outside the Phoenix. And so it had to screen there. <laughs> there's something about, Fright Fest is more than just a place where you go and watch a load of films. I, I've never made a film myself, um, and every single Fright Fest event I go to, I come out and my brain's just bubbling, and I want to make one. And That's I've awesome. been bouncing up and down that line for probably four years now. And yeah, it's getting closer. It's gonna happen. <laughs> but that- uh, it it just inspires the shit out of me. And it isn't just the watching the movies. It's watching people like yourself come up after their movie, and just tell you about the influences how it was made and you just feel so it's that family feel you feel so invested in that project um so true it's infectious that that's what it is and like even when you don't it's so funny because i'll give a quick example of like i i wasn't a huge fan of i I enjoyed almost human joe bigos's first film Mm. i wasn't a huge fan of his second film the mind's eye and so when I was going into Bliss, I was going into this year a little cold. I was kind of like, eh, I didn't really like the mind's eye. I hope this is okay. okay. And I wouldn't have a huge, we'll say, knowledge. Like, I, w- I wouldn't know a lot about Joe at that point. Hmm. Or I wouldn't have at that point known a lot about Joe. And then I saw, like, when he got up and introed the film, he had such passion, such conviction for it and such that, like, like you say, I, it changed everything for me. Like, and then I watched Bliss and I was blown away by it and I talked to him in the Phoenix and mm. like that, I came away from it just being like, I will watch everything that man does, like good, bad, <laughs> or indifferent because, you know, he's so impassioned. Like, and it inspires, as you say, you come out of it like, and you're like, I want to make something and be that imp- impassioned, you know, yeah. um, which I, I, this year I think was the case for me, which, you know, was great. Um, but I, yeah. I love like, the mind's eye. It's, it's interesting. But that's the other thing I love about horror, horror is you get like, you get a film, you come out. Like, there was one this year. Um, it was the sci-fi film, Dark Something. Because your brain goes to Dark Skies because that's what it reminds you of, but it wasn't that. Um, it's been a few weeks ago now. Anyway, uh, I talked <laughs> yeah, about it on the last show. Listeners will know. Uh, <laughs> so I edit my voice in telling you what the film was. But that, that film just connected with me on a really visceral level. Um, yeah. And I think what actually is unusual for me, it hooked me in with the cinematography early on. And I think because I was so much in a filming mindset at the time that I was very focused on the, the, the lighting, the camera, the camera yeah. moves, the setup, the framing. And yeah, I was, I don't normally pay attention to that. And you would normally say, well, the film isn't engaging enough if that's what you're focusing on. If that should all form part of the experience and then you should pick that apart on your second, third viewing, whatever. And no, this will just grab me initially. And then as the film unpacked, it was it could have done with some trimming. You know, it was a bit, a, yeah. a bit long in places. But what they did with it and the invention of it, like, and I was like emotionally invested in this film. And it, and it finished. And my friends around me went, it's all right, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I didn't really like that. And then they started picking holes in it. And I just felt really defensive all of a sudden. It's just like... That is, man, I... Going back to Bliss, uh, I I thought after I watched it, and I was sure I was like everybody's going to agree that this is one of the best films of the festival, and like then I went online like maybe the day after, and I saw people being like, "Well, that was a lot of garbage." Like, yeah. I'm like what? 
Like, because like that for me with Bliss, it was the opposite almost of what you're saying, which is that like, I got so lost in it that I didn't think about cameras or yeah. end lights or anything. I was just like on a trip. That's what it felt like, just this extended <laughs> trip. Where's the and black cocaine? <laughs> yeah. And it's so weird because my, my missus, as I say, who wouldn't be a huge cinephile, I was expecting her. Afterwards, I was like, oh, God, I'm never going to hear the end of this from her. She's going to yeah. be like, what the was that? <laughs> and we walked out and she was like, that was my favorite film so far. And I was like, what? Wow, okay, <laughs> like, cool. Amazing. But then, as I say, there was people that I saw, um, even when it was announced that it was going to be screening at Horathon again, there was people I saw who had seen it at Five and they were like, yeah, don't watch this. It's crap. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, but that's as you say it's the nature of film and and sometimes it's the most fun thing about going to these festivals is having those discussions it is yeah yeah um, but i would say horror and unless something is just very unusual um it, it's either gonna be fucking terrible and it's one star or it's just so amazing no like tigers are not afraid like oh five wow stars. five stars yeah, all so you've got the two yeah. ends of the scale everything else normally is a three-star movie and the reason is yeah. half the people will rate it five the other half will rate it one bam three-star movie <laughs> yeah exactly it's so horror. true <laughs> and it's so funny because like tigers is one of those ones that i i can't say that i've seen anybody say oh this movie was like mm. anybody i know who was now i will say that going back to my wife again <laughs> she we went to watch it and she turned over and went to sleep halfway through it and i was like oh how could you like how <laughs> How could you? I, like, divorce papers might be necessary. Um, because, like, I was so emotionally invested by that oh, point. She was just like, like, oh, tell me what happens in the morning. Just turned over. I was like, <laughs> how could you do this today? <laughs> um, yeah, I would say that for me that that's probably, even though it was a film that came out last year, I guess, on the festival circuit, like, it's probably my fa- my, my film of the year mm, this year. Team. Just I, Yeah, just, Exactly. I've been singing his praises since it dropped. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually pissed off um, <laughs> because I did not want that to go, I, especially I didn't want it to go to Shudder. I don't begrudge Shudder at all having it. It's a great get for them. But uh, I thought it was it is deserving of a national cinema release. And the Absolutely. only reason it doesn't get that is because it's got fucking subtitles and people don't want to read them. And exactly. that really pisses me off <clears throat> because and- this is better that, like, Half the things that are going to be Oscar nominated this year aren't as good as that film, if you ask no, me. No, definitely not. And I mean, the performances, those child actors are incredible. Yeah. Like, especially that lead girl. Mm. She is phenomenal. And like, you can see straight away, as soon as I saw it, I was like, no wonder Guillermo is all over this because yeah. like, it's so, it, it it has Guillermo's influence written on it, which is not a negative, like, yeah, it's not a slight, like, all I could think when I was watching it, I was like, holy crap, this is like the first film since Pan's Labyrinth that's felt like Pan's Labyrinth yes, in a weird yeah. way. Um, and I loved what you like, said about it because she said it was never intentional. It was a never a thought. It's just I grew up adoring his movies and his style and it, it yeah. seeps into your subconscious and then it comes back out in your own creativity. And I thought it was a really good way of explaining it. That's awesome because that leads me like, I, I think in out of the reviews we've gotten, loads of them have said oh, this monster wouldn't have been out of place in a Clive Barker movie. This monster, Clive Barker, yeah, Clive course, Barker, yeah. Hellraiser. Mm. And I'm looking at it, and I, as I say, right, going into the film, when we were doing creature concepts and everything, I never once brought up Clive Barker. I never mm. mentioned it. or it ne- But like like you say, he had such a huge influence on <laughs> me as a, young, as a young fella that there's no way I could make a creature like that and not have it be influenced by his work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, I totally, I totally 
believe her and completely agree because that's exactly <laughs> what I've kind of experienced with this is that your influences you don't know them until somebody else points them out to you that's it yeah and, and, and you're like oh shit <laughs> and film you know is like film and music anything creative like that is people will always it's like a mix of blah and blah it's like yeah. there, there I see this and what I, I get a bit defensive when people say that's just a rip off of and I'm like okay some things yeah. are a rip-off, but way more things are a rip-off than people say they are. Because most things are homage to, respect for, or influenced by. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think that's the that's the prevalent amount of it. Ripping off doesn't happen as much as everybody says it does. I also think that, I don't know, you're, you're a gamer too. Yeah. Like myself. I think that when you're a gamer, you it, it gives you something else that you're, like, that ability to know that, like... N- they're not ripoffs. Like every platformer that came after Mario Bros isn't a ripoff of Mario Bros. They're just <laughs> platformers. Like, and yeah. they have rules and and stuff in mm. place, in ingrained in them almost. And it's why there was always such issues with copyright and IP law in video games, is because you couldn't say, "Well, Sonic is a ripoff of Mario," or "Mario is a ripoff of Sonic," or you know, mm. like it was just that's what they are. And I think like that, I'm the very same as you. If I go see something and somebody goes, "Well, that was just a ripoff of such and such," I'm like. I, it kind of incenses me. I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, <laughs> unless it was is clearly just a straight up blatant, like, blatant, unofficial remake of something. I'm like, it's it's not a, a rip off. It's it's a homage. It's a it's influenced by. It's whatever you know. Yeah. Uh, this like, makes me think of that. I think it's Italian. I can't remember the bloody name now because so many. I'm not. Is a this the Terminator? No, it's um, it's a zombie movie. Um. I'm sure it's an Italian zombie movie, but it is beat for beat aliens. And they even use whole sections of the dialogue from aliens, but they're <laughs> talking about zombies. Can't remember the damn movie. Um, it's not Zombie 2, is it? No, I don't think, it, I don't think it's that well known. It's, more, it's a smaller title, but... Because there's, there's this crazy... Um, similarly, there's this crazy Italian film that is... It's, I think it might be term. That might be called Terminator Two in Italy, the one you're talking about. Right. I think that's. I think that's the one because there's this film that's just a complete rip off of, of nearly ninety five percent sure it's Aliens, and it literally has the stuff of them crawling through the vents and all the rest of it. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's they mostly come at night, mostly. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, but like, and it's and it's. I think that, but the, they called it Terminator Two in in italy but it's a ripoff of aliens i'm nearly <laughs> sure that's the case um but yeah like uh i i think this is the other thing i absolutely adore about film which is that like your discoveries are endless like between going to festivals and seeing new things that come out or just finding these discoveries where somebody goes have you ever seen this bad shit crazy film from <laughs> 1974 and you're like no and then you watch it and you're like how did I live my life up to this point not having seen this? <laughs> so many um, times. Yeah, <clears throat> it's... I, I, I think that film lends itself more to that than other mediums as well because I've often found people tell me to go back and read a book from, you know, eight years ago and I'll find it difficult because it feels out of date. Yeah. Or people tell me to go back and play a game from, you know, the late 80s and unless I had an emotional connection to it at the time, I'll be like... Yeah, this is I can't get into this. See, but then me in, that's me in classic horror a lot of the time. Really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, and whereas I find for me anyway with films, I'm I'm usually more able to be like to, if I if I'm watching an old film and I I find the performances a bit dated or the writing a bit dated, I might be looking at going like, you know, 
maybe it's the, just the director's side, but I'm like, ooh, that matte painting in the background is stunning. How do they do that? <laughs> yeah. Or like that makeup effect. Like this is 1954. How did they do that? You know, um, there's usually something to be found in there. I see. I'm, I'm sort of famous on Little Pot of Horrors for just being the ignoramus who doesn't like doesn't like hammer movies because i never saw them back then and when i watch them now they don't do anything for me i can't help that i don't have the emotional attachment and it you know there's like franchises i saw way later hence jason x is the best jason movie i just <laughs> loved your defense of that movie so much <laughs> i love that we've both done jason That's what, that was what I thought. <laughs> when i came back after fright fest that night i was just like we're already friends of course he did the other jason movie <laughs> Yeah, I did nine, you did ten, so we, we finished out the, the back end of the Jason. No one's going to do the remake, so we're safe. Um, Maybe we should, like, bend their arms and get us both back on together. Oh, my God, <laughs> defend the remake? <laughs> It'd be a challenge. I'd, <laughs> I'd go for it, though. I'd be like, this guy is so good in Supernatural that you have to love this movie. Yes. <laughs> Oh, uh, as I say, we, you, we, you just win anyway, because my favorite thing about your episode was that it, I showed it to Barry, my friend, like Barry Fahey, the, the DP and stuff. I was yeah. like, you have to listen to this because he beats Andy and Mitch at their own game by just going, yeah, but it's awesome, though. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice I did that. I, I did it years ago on a, a friend's podcast. I went on and um, <laughs> my friend Lee is the most, if he hates a film everyone else is wrong that film is shit i'm saying it's shit that is it and he will not hear anything else and i just went on and i trolled him about rocker howard split second because oh, wow. i fucking love that movie yeah. and i will defend it to my death and, <laughs> and i just i just trolled him for the entire episode We're like yeah but it's amazing because of that <laughs> every criticism yeah. we had was like, that was that was my know, favorite thing because like mitch was kind, mitch will always kind of agree like he'd kind of be like yeah okay i can kind of see that whereas andy is just like no it's just rubbish man. <laughs> then, but like usually people kind of end up going yeah okay but i loved on your episode you were just like oh come on though Jason floating towards you in space. How cool is that? Come on. <laughs> and it was just like, you could not disagree. It was like this kind of boundless enthusiasm about it means that there's no winning on their part of, of saying it's shite. Like, uh, it was, it was a really fun episode. So actually basically to anybody, definitely check that episode. out. <laughs> well, check out strong language and violent scenes. Cause it's, yes. it's um, podcasting done properly. Unlike us. And, um, <laughs> They have a thing called a uh, regular release schedule, I believe it's called. I've, I've looked it up on Wikipedia, and apparently it's a thing in podcasting. So uh, we are we're going to attempt to try and do something similar to that going forward. But well, it's not I, been I a strong suit. I had a podcast briefly with my co-creator Celtic Badger, um, and we did seven or eight episodes, um, and. Yeah, and then like that, we never officially cancelled it. We just haven't released an episode just, since, so I'm I'm right there with you. It's open-ended. Um, just do one randomly and scare everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll just be like, hey, we're back for two episodes, and then we're gone again. Yeah, because who goes through their podcatcher or their iTunes or whatever and goes, oh, uh, that, they haven't released a podcast for ages. I'm going to unsubscribe. You don't. You just leave the dead. The dead feeds just go to the bottom, and they just sit there. And then one day it just says, new episode from, and you go, oh, wow. <laughs> just click on I, it. I think that happened to me in in Google Podcasts, I think it was, with Little Pot of Horrors. Probably. <laughs> that it was there and it was idled down at the bottom and then it just went like, ping! Yeah. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a good time for us to sort of plug. Um, 
if you are listening to this for a web browser and you're not subscribed to our podcast feed and you used to be um please go and check because it is now on a new feed uh we are now with legion podcast network so uh it, it which is, is a- huge congratulations thank you yeah i mean i've i've loved their output for for years and i, I say i did a <laughs> another show with scheduling problems <laughs> called obsessive cinema discourse for a while we did, we loved doing it but we had uh one one host in omaha one me here and the other one in australia uh so the time differences just made oh, it wow. so hard yeah omaha so- to australia <laughs> like is there ever a time where with you in the middle that, that works <laughs> yeah we found <laughs> it, it only worked one way and it meant that the witch down in australia was always fine <laughs> pissed off because he just got out of bed bless him he got the <laughs> short end of the stick every time so oh, no. 11 o'clock here um made it uh, 5 p.m for court who just got in from work so he had to come in from work and be upbeat and entertaining and then oh, the witch had to get up sink as much coffee as possible and be online for 9 a.m um oh that is rough like that is and like and scary. i'm the one who's been half a bottle of the wine in 11 o'clock at night hey, i'm quite happy <laughs> just like this energy unbalance it was yeah so, yeah uh, so but it, yeah uh definitely i i like as i say um i i think folks should definitely subscribe to this new uh the new version of your guy's show Thank you, sir. That's an endorsement <laughs> thing, uh, that we will, we will grab and put on a poster. Um, <laughs> so, um, I do have another project coming out. Uh, we're putting out a proof of concept show. Actually, it's going to be out before this, so I can say it now. Uh, so caught from uh, Obsessive Cinema Discourse and myself, because that time difference we can make work. Uh, whenever we recorded a film show where we had to watch a film, make notes, talk about it, blah, 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 we would, if we had time, we would talk shit for an hour before we started we click record and an hour after we click record, we thought well people quite enjoy just listening to people shoot the shit i mean that's basically what Absolutely. i've done for 10 years in podcasting so we've started a show called bullshit artists <laughs> and if you've seen the greasy strangler you'll know where i got that title from uh so uh our proof of concept show is going out this week on the obsessive cinema discourse feed which is still live and we're going to gauge public reaction from that and then hopefully stick it on its own feed again hopefully no not hopefully it will be on legion podcast as well so, bullshit artist bullshit artist <laughs> that that got me off guard that is amazing i love that film my wife oh, fell asleep in protest in that film she wasn't that tired she just went this is shit i'm going to sleep <laughs> i i had a friend my editor aaron walsh who, who edited the parish as soon as i saw the greasy strangler i was like you need to watch this movie because he loves that kind of weird offbeat humor yeah i was like this and same with beverly off lane i was like you gotta watch that like i i really love that kind of like just the fact that there's somebody out, out there making films like that yes. that nobody should be making <laughs> like, <laughs> what, God, what's your favorite scene in greasy i think for me in the greasy strangler it's it is probably it the one i go to is the bullshit artist scene just because oh, it right, okay. it's i can't i don't know it's just <laughs> you it's one of those things that anybody who's seen it if you walk into a room full of people and you shout bullshit artist <laughs> you know the people who've seen the greasy strangler by the people that shout it back at you <laughs> um the, the the writer was at fright fest this year um was it oh, oh which he film was. was it because he um wasn't it he a good woman it's hard to find i don't know he, I, I know he wrote i know he wrote come to daddy 
Oh, it's come to Danny. Yeah. Yeah. They they said, oh, that you know, he's here and he's the writer of um, Greasy Strangler. And I shouted out, bullshit artist, as he went down, but no one heard me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think there was definitely flavors in there. Like, I actually really loved Come to Daddy as well. I thought it was very entertaining, dark Mm. comedy, weird. Um, And like, like that, I, there was definitely, like, watching it, you you could feel that it was written by the guy who wrote Greasy Strangler because there was just those moments. the yeah. off kilter weirdness. It's just that uh, off, slightly off normal, isn't it? And he yeah. obviously brought it back from where Greasy Strangler was, but it was still somewhere between the two. Uh, yeah, so, definitely. It was yeah. It was still that kind of vibe of like, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, do people actually talk like this? Like, do people, are people this weird? And then you go out into the world and you, you realise you're like, oh crap, like sometimes people are this weird. <laughs> sometimes people are like characters out of a Stephen King novel. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> But I was gonna, if I was going to pick a favourite scene from Greasy Strangler, it is the uh, Porto. <laughs> that is yes. so God, yes. But what is... are these chips made of? Porto. <laughs> Porto. Porto. <laughs> it just goes on for so long. It's it's the Napoleon Dynamite of horror films. Like, yes, it yeah. really is. Um, because like that, I remember showing Napoleon Dynamite to people in the in the mid-2000s and they were just like, like just people didn't get it. They yeah. were like, what? now everybody's like, oh, that's one of the best comedies ever. Mm. And I'm like, I remember when I showed that to people, they would just look at me like, what are we, what, what, what? this is not funny. <laughs> um, but like everything, it gains that cult status and then everyone's like, actually, that's my favorite film ever. <laughs> and I think the Greasy Strangler is a little bit like that, that people who saw it early on, were, unless they saw it at a festival and got the vibe for it, they had this kind of snobbery about it of like, what is this? This is just weird. Yeah. And now it's like, because it's so beloved, people are like, oh, I love it too. <laughs> I, I had an amazing experience after seeing, I, I saw the Greasy Strangler at the Mayhem Fil- Film Festival. in. Oh, yeah, I'd love to go. I'd love to go to that someday. It's soon. great. Uh, the organizers are fantastic. Unfortunately, it just never seems to work out dates wise for me anymore, but yeah. I love that festival. And um, they were giving out like pins and badges and that actually was like a little goodie bag. So I've got a poster yeah. on the wall behind me, which is mortifying my wife um the pink think, hats the, the pink beanies oh no the, i didn't get a beanie oh i've seen oh. these people that going around with the the pink beanie with greasy in the grease font i'm like oh my god i want oh, one of those so badly those. No, i had these little <laughs> stickers a little pink stickers that said hootie tootie disco cutie on it right and i had two of those and there was oh, somebody on my facebook was did a film festival in the States or something like that. And I'd posted a picture of it on my feed. I said, oh, I'd love one of those. I said, I've got two. I'll post you one. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, no problem. So I put it in my folder for work because I was going to post it after my job. Um, so I'm in this pretty wealthy person's house. <laughs> They're very middle class <laughs> listening to classic FM, drinking tea with a pinky up. And I've just finished my job. I'm just walking out the door. And he goes, uh, excuse me, is this yours? <laughs> And this guy picks up this pink sticker off the floor from his conservatory. He's like, hooty tooty disco gear. I'm like, I must have gone as pink as the sticker. I tell him. <laughs> so I explained. It's from a film. Oh, I'm going to send incredible. it. Oh, God. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, as I say, I. I just remember, I think it was particular, uh, a few people in the States that I saw with these these pink greasy hats. And I was just like, like you, I, I should have probably reached out to someone and been like, hey, can you send me one of those? <laughs> well, if anybody's got know, one. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's listening to this and they've got one, I will pay good money for a greasy hat. <laughs> Not any old greasy hat, so don't just go sending me a greasy hat, okay? Oh, yeah, don't, yeah just dip it in engine grease. There you go. <laughs> 
Anyway, so I really should let you get the fuck out of here yeah. at some point. So, oh, no worries. <laughs> I did say we would just shoot the shit and we'd go as long as we went, but I, I, you, you have a family and a life, so... Um, I... <laughs> and you were going away on holidays tomorrow, so... I am, yes, yes. <laughs> so, enjoy. Thank you. I've, I've earned it. <laughs> yeah, I, from hearing about your week, you sure as hell have. <laughs> I mean, your week sounds like my shoots. Like, no sleep, no, like... <laughs> Well, every day ends with editing, so it's similar. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on. And uh, the um, door is always open. If you want to do this again, uh, I say these beers for Boz episodes, they're called that because it's me and somebody else and there's no there's no plan there's no there's no schedule so, but if you I like that next time i should yeah next time i'll drink some beers as well and we can just ramble about <laughs> the greasy strangler for the whole day <laughs> I, I haven't had a drink um so <laughs> let's just be normal so but what's if you want to come back on if you want to like if you do want to talk about a film that we probably both love or think would be great to chat about then you know and anytime just hit me up come on we'll have a chat have a couple of drinks and just record the experience <laughs> absolutely sounds like fun i'm glad that we got to meet in the flesh at fright fest and so make I. this happen even if neither of us really realized <laughs> it was like a week and a half later on social media are you the guy that i met in yes yes okay so we do know it cool yeah because like, yeah, it's something on facebook uh friends ah awkward <laughs> anyway. Uh, tell people talk oh. about social media please tell people how they can find you and keep up to up to date with what it is you've got coming out and what you're doing well uh the easiest way to follow the company that i co-founded and run that that does put out our stuff is just to follow uh, or just go to our website which is www.celtic uh, badger media um dot com uh but if you, uh, one of the handiest ways as well for people who are on twitter is just follow me at paddy bass and that's a bass like bass guitar so p-a-d-d-y-b-a-s-s and i'm always talking random nonsense on there and that's where i usually divulge information that i'm not supposed to early <laughs> and um where there's less control of me than there is on other social networks so i do end up just splurging things that i'm not supposed to um so it's a great place to follow me do you have a really <laughs> deep orange tan by any chance i'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not that much of a dictator i may be on set but yeah um no, I I just have this awful habit of like something pops into my head about like a film project hmm. and I'm like, I just post about it on Twitter and then I'm like, I probably should have written that by the team first. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I that's where I'd be following me if I was looking to, because that's where the, the most ridiculous stuff happens. But then you can also follow Celtic Badger Media on Facebook as well. Um, and if you want to watch a whole bunch of stuff that we've done, if you go to youtube.com, uh, forward slash Celtic Badger Media there's like 20 plus short films and a bunch of sketch comedy shows and all kinds of stuff um, and there's there's some some of it's actually good <laughs> <laughs> well we'll put links to all that in the show notes so um, people can just click through from there so uh, once again thank you very much sir it's been an absolute pleasure oh, thank and you, Buzz. I, I hope we could do this again sometime soon same cheers cheerio A is for Apple B is for Buzz. C is for crayon. D is for drum. Like scrotum here, it is in a nutshell.
Yeah, I've done 55 <laughs> hours by the end of yesterday of my 40 hour week <laughs> so. if, if you can get through this podcast that's incredible <laughs> it's keeping me sane to be honest it's a nice diversion <laughs>